You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Today, we are going to talk about the cross of Jesus. For the better part of last year, we studied the gospel of John, ending just in time for Advent and Christmas to pick back up Jesus was being sentenced to death to die in your place and my place for our sins. We're picking it back up this week and next in the Gospel of John. That leaves me so today to talk about the cross of Jesus and next week his glorious resurrection. What we discovered previously in the Gospel of John is that chapters 1 through 12 are basically the first 33 years of Jesus' life here And then chapters 13 to 20, I know there are 21 chapters, but 13 through 20 are detailing Jesus' last week on earth, the most important week in human history. And when we get into the issue of the cross, I don't want to assume that you fully understand what the cross means. I didn't as a kid. I grew up in a ki- as a kid in church. We had crosses on everything, on a steeple, on walls, on the water fountain. Just kidding. We had crosses displayed, and we, you know, people would make signs of the cross, and we would wear cross necklaces. So I knew what a cross looked like, but I didn't know what it would come to mean to me personally. Many of us just assume far too much and understand far too little. So I want to start by explaining to you the cross in general and then the cross of Jesus in particular. For Christians, this is the sign, the symbol of our faith. You know, if you drove here, your vehicle has an emblem on it. And that will tell us what automaker you prefer. The predominant symbol of our country is the flag. If you're an athlete, maybe you wear a a Nike swoosh. All that means is that you just paid more. (laughs) What's curious is that for thousands of years, we've had one symbol that was chosen to be the sign, the summation of our faith, and that's the cross. No one knows for sure how that got started, There have been other, uh, this was in the early church days that other ideas were brought forth. They considered, for instance, uh, the dove, because it was the dove that came, uh, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove that, that came on to Jesus at his baptism. Others considered the symbol of a fish, because Jesus talking to his disciples, Peter in particular, says, I will make you fishers of men. But the cross became the symbol of the Christian faith in the early days of the church. And it's really unusual. Because as one of our old hymns say, says, it is the emblem of suffering and shame. It was the most shameful and painful way to die. Yet... Christians started making the sign of the cross, wearing crosses to identify themselves publicly with the crucified Jesus. Christians have always revered the cross as something sacred, and yet the Bible refers to it as foolishness for those who don't know Jesus. When it comes to this issue of the cross, in that day, it was really like state 
sponsored terrorism. It was to strike fear, terror in the heart of the citizens. Crucifixion was done publicly as a warning to everyone else. If you believe as this person believes, if you behave as this person behaves, then you can suffer the same fate that they are suffering. It was the equivalent today of a live stream beheading. In today's world, we don't see a lot of crucifixions, but it still happens, particularly in radical religious groups, especially Islamic extremists who would call us worshipers of the cross. We are not worshipers of the cross. We are worshipers of the one on the cross so that we can be forgiven of our sin. Now, the Bible doesn't give a whole lot of detail regarding crucifixion. You're going to see as we jump into John chapter 19, John describes this event that happened to Jesus with one word, that he was crucified. And I believe the reason that the Gospels don't detail what crucifixion is all about is because the original recipients would have known all about crucifixion. It would have been done multiple times. You didn't have to explain to them what it meant. You see, crucifixion happened commonly and publicly. When Jesus was a little boy, there was an uprising, a revolt of the Jews against the Romans who had rule over them. And to quell that riot, there was a mass crucifixion of Jews and their leaders. A century before that, during the days of Spartacus, in 71 BC, history records that 6,000 men were crucified in a single day along a 120-mile stretch of Roman highway called the Appian Way. Imagine getting in your car after church today and you drive to Raleigh, and all along the way are 6,000 men crucified, bleeding, screaming, dying, cursing. That was the state of how much crucifixion was used. Now back to our story of Jesus. They are seeking to crucify him. The religious leaders are. Before the great religious holiday of Passover... Just as Passover is about to begin because the population of Jerusalem during that Passover celebration, all able-bodied male Jews and their families were attending. You can imagine the population explosion for this time of Passover. And they wanted the crucifixion to happen then to draw the most attention as possible to this event. Now, crucifixion was a painfully slow death by asphyxiation. As you're being crucified, one of the first things that happens is that they take nails the size of railroad spikes and they drive them in to the most, the most sensitive nerve centers of the human body, the hands and feet, probably the wrists and feet. Next, your body weight would slouch on the cross and you would be exhausted, dehydrated. So your lungs would be incapable of maintaining air and you would go in and out of consciousness. So with your nailed feet, you try to push up on the cross just enough to get a breath again. History outside the Bible records that some people lasted in that state for days. Have you ever 
choked, if you ever had trouble breathing, have, have you been underwater, needed to, to, to resurface quickly to get a breath? Men would be crucified facing the crowd that would mock them, jeer them. On rare occasions that a woman was crucified, even in that barbarous society, they did not want to see the facial expression of what would happen to a woman going through that, that they would face her the other way. What all people groups in that day agreed upon is that if you were crucified, this was as horrific an event as possible. So much so that Roman citizens would not be crucified because it was considered too inhumane. The first century Jewish historian Josephus called it, and I quote, the most wretched of deaths. When it comes to the word of God, in Deuteronomy 21, it says, cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. So they're cursed of God. The apostle Paul in Galatians says, indeed, Christ was cursed for us. He endured the full wrath of God on the cross. How many of you are a, are a dad who has a son? Can you imagine your son going through this for their enemy? So not only did Jesus suffer, so did the father. Let me remind you how we got to the cross from John's perspective. The author of this fourth gospel that we are finishing up today and, and next week. All the way back in John chapter 13, Jesus sat down with his disciples for what we know as the Last Supper. At that meal, one of those disciples, Judas Iscariot, a counterfeit disciple who had been stealing money from Jesus' ministry for a long time and plotting against him, and it says in John 13, 27, that Satan entered Judas Iscariot. You see, what had happened is in heaven, Satan declared war against Jesus. Satan lost and was cast down to earth. And then Satan invited our first parents, Adam and Eve, to participate in that rebellion and that coup attempt. And they sided with him and in essence voted on behalf of all humanity. Jesus comes down to liberate us and to take the fight to Satan. And Satan recruits Judas and works through Judas. So behind all of this demonic counterfeit attack against the king and his kingdom. And we are told that Jesus spent an entire night sleepless in anguish. Sweating drops of blood while his friends slept. Sleepless in the middle of the night, Judas shows up with soldiers from the political and, and spiritual parties, carrying clubs and swords and torches, and Judas had been plotting this for a while. Jesus is arrested. He is falsely tried. He is beaten over the course of a night, and John tells us that Jesus was then flogged. Once again, the Bible doesn't give any detail about what this much-known event would be about. You see, to flog a person in that day would be to tie their hands together 
and attached them to a pole or a large stone exposing their back. So then two Roman guards would take leather whips, cat and nine tails, and the end of those leather straps were metal balls, fragments of stone, hooks. And with each sling of the whip, they would tug and rip part of the man's flesh off. Isaiah would prophesy 700 years prior that Jesus would be marred beyond human likeness, beyond recognition, literally a bloody mess. Some men died from the flogging itself because it was such physical trauma and extreme blood loss. What a horrendous way to suffer. And that's what they did to Jesus. And all of this while mocking him. Oh, here's your crown, O king. A crown of thorns. Oh, and your purple, your royal robe. It was all mocking. And the big question, why all of this? What did he do? He said he was God. So the religious leaders wanted to take him out, and the Romans played along because he was causing a stir. All of this culminated in Jesus carrying his cross. John 19. Carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. Jesus would have those nails driven in his his wrists, uh, feet. Why did I tell you all about this crucifixion? Because too often we don't take the time to understand what really happened, what all he truly endured. We say, God loves you. Jesus died for you, which is totally true. But unless you unpack the significance of that event, you have a lack of appreciation for the fullness of Jesus' suffering on your behalf and mine. He was crucified with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. These two men were guilty. And this is fulfillment of the prophecy given 700 years prior in Isaiah 52 and 53 that he would be crucified. He would be executed with the wicked in his death. Next verse. Pilate, now this is the Roman political ruler. He's the governor of Judea, which is the, you know, the city of Jerusalem is located in. Throughout the four Gospels, Pilate tries on seven different occasions to declare Jesus innocent, yet he still murders Jesus because he, de- he decides it's more politically expedient than to do what's right in the eyes of God. History outside the Bible tells us what happens to Pilate. He takes his own life eventually. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The reason Jesus is being executed is because he keeps saying he is God. The religious leaders saw this as an affront to their own authority and influence. The political leaders saw this as a threat to the state. They would say, Caesar is Lord, and Jesus would basically show up and say, no, he's not. I am Lord. Next verse. 
Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was public. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So all of the the languages of, of what they would have known. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate. Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Jesus should have been their king as well. They should be repenting. They're worried about a sign. Their biggest concern is we have a typo on the murder of God. What doesn't bother them is the murder of God. What bothers them is that the sign should say something else. It just goes to show that we can be so concerned with the petty that we miss the infinite. You see, great evil happens when we know the Bible, but we don't know Jesus. The whole point of the Bible is to introduce you to Jesus. The whole point of the Bible is that you would get to know Jesus and love Jesus and be changed by Jesus. Well, to their request, Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. Pilate had full authority in this matter. The Jewish people did not have the legal right to put anyone to death. Only the Romans did. Now, let me be clear. It wasn't that all Jewish people wanted Jesus' death. Remember, Jesus himself is Jewish. The disciples are all Jewish. There were those of the Jewish faith who absolutely loved Jesus. It's the religious leaders. That's who we're talking about. And the reason they wanted Jesus to die is because he had violated this major critical law. The law referring to Leviticus 24, 16 reads this way. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. And that verse tells exactly how. By stoning them. Well, what are they trying to do to Jesus? Crucify him. They're saying that, ja- that Jesus blasphemes because he's saying he's God. Well, they're right. Jesus does say that he was God. He's not blaspheming because he actually was and is God. They are the ones who are actually blaspheming God because Jesus actually is God. And they themselves do not even obey the law that they are quoting to do this to Jesus. It says that he was supposed to be stoned if he were in fact guilty. But they are seeking his crucifixion. They are demonic hypocrites. You see, this is the essence of religion. Grace for me, law for you. Jesus didn't care about religion. He cared about relationship. And let me be clear on another point. Jesus is not a victim. He is the victor. It's not that he doesn't have any control, any authority over the situation. It's that he is allowing it to happen. Earlier in John, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Back to John 19. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. 
Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened. Go back to that one. Okay, this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled. The Bible is from God. The Bible is perfect. The Bible is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. What, when it was written, the Bible was 25% prophetic in nature. That is, it was foretelling the future and preparing God's people for it. No other religion has prophecy like the word of God. All of it comes to be truth in the life of Jesus because the author of this book rules human history. Jesus was born of a woman who happens to be a virgin in Bethlehem. It had to happen before 70 AD because that's when the temple was destroyed. And he would be crucified between two thieves, that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, and that he would rise as the forgiver of sins and the giver of life. It's all in here. Prophesied hundreds of years before it actually occurred. See, you and I need to trust the Word of God until we meet the God of the Word. Next verse. This happened, that the scripture might be fulfilled, it said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. That's Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. 18. You see, all scripture is God-breathed and useful, and it all points to Jesus. Next verse, so this is what the soldiers did. Now, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So those four women. Where are Jesus' brothers and sisters? They're not there because they're not yet believers. Where's Jesus' adoptive father, Joseph? We don't know for sure, but the speculation is he has already died. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, who's that? That's John, the same John who writes this gospel, who is there as an eyewitness. <laughs> you know, for 2,000 years, there's been speculation about Jesus. Well, I would encourage you instead to trust eyewitness accounts. And Jesus said to his mom, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, John, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. This tells me everything I need to know about John. If you're dying and you're looking at your mom, John, I need you to take my place and be like a son. And mom, I need John to be your pastor. Here are both Jesus' physical family and spiritual family. And at this point, Jesus trusts John more than his own brothers because they don't yet believe. They will become believers. Two of his brothers, James and Jude, go on to write books of the Bible that bear their name. And history outside the Bible says Jesus' third brother, Simon, also becomes a pastor and a devout follower of Jesus. But at this point, they're not believers, not until after the resurrection. 
So here we have a pattern of three ways that people follow Jesus. First, there's Judas. Now, he's a follower of Jesus externally, not internally. What does he eventually do? He stops following Jesus. He walks away from Jesus. And he literally hangs himself. Then there were those who followed Jesus, but at a safe distance. In particular, I'm thinking about the night in which Jesus is arrested and going through all of the trial and the beatings and everything else. It's Peter. Of course, he is changed when the risen Lord gets a hold of him. And then we see two here that are following Jesus closely throughout his whole ministry up until the point of his death, and that's John and Mary Magdalene. These are your options today. Walk away from Jesus. Walk at a distance from Jesus, basically as a compromised Christian. Or walk with Jesus closely, publicly, identifying yourself with him, willing to endure whatever cost might come as a result. Later, knowing that everything had now been fulfilled... And so that scripture would be fulfilled, I'm just going to say this. You need to be in the word of God, and you need the word of God in you. That's what will fill full your life. So that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. That's from Psalm 69, 21, which says, they gave me vinegar for my thirst. Next verse. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, next verse, Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus is about to be the victor because he has completed what he came to do. All of the work of salvation is done. You don't need to try to be a good enough person to pay back your debt. You never can. We're all sinners. God paid the debt for us. That means you are saved by God. You are saved from God. You are saved for God. It's all him. Jesus says it is finished, and with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That means he died. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. (laughs) They're so worried about maintaining the law of Sabbath worship that they would hasten the death of the Lord of the Sabbath that they should be worshiping. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The reason for the breaking of the legs of the accused was to hasten death. Because if your legs are broken, you can no longer push up on the nail to get air in your lungs. Keeps going. The soldiers, therefore, came, broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus. Those are the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. That's also a fulfillment of Scripture. You'll see in a moment. 
Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus aside with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The spear pierced Jesus' heart sack. Jesus has died. There's no other way around it. And the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. What John is saying is, look, I was there. I saw it all. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. The point of the whole story of Scripture, the point of us gathering today is that you would believe in Jesus. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. We conclude with these verses. These things happen so the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones was broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. If I might point out the obvious, Jesus died. One of the more popular false teachings is something referred to as the swoon theory which says that Jesus didn't die, he just passed out, and he woke up later. So let's revisit the facts. Beaten all night, flogged beyond recognition, crucified, spear through his heart, no medical attention for three days, placed in a tomb, large stone over the entrance, sealed with a Roman seal, guards on duty. And so let me get this right. According to this theory, Jesus, a man, woke up in a cold tomb with a large stone, and he rolled it out of the way, took on all the armed guards, and walked into town. You know what's more believable? Jesus died. And people would believe in some ridiculous theory because they don't want to believe in Jesus. So Jesus died big question, why? Two words, for us. You may hear it in these scriptures as for our. Isaiah 35, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It was done for our sins. Jesus got what you deserved and he gave you what you do not deserve. Romans 4.25, he was delivered over to death for our sin and was raised to life for our justification. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, that's our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. So sin is the problem. Jesus is the solution. And the cross of Jesus is the restoring point of getting us back to the Father. So let me say this. You and I are far worse than we think we are. And Jesus is not only better than you think he is, he is far better than you can think he is. Jesus loves you, 
Jesus came to forgive you. Jesus came to take your place. Jesus came to embrace you. Jesus came to establish a relationship with you. Do you know him? If not, what's your decision today? Will you reject him and suffer? Or will you receive him and his suffering? It all comes down to Jesus. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.